What up? It's me, Tom Tanneke, your host, your stay-at-home boyfriend. Welcome back to the Pork and Feed the Birds, episode 28. Slowly climbing up there. When you do a fortnightly podcast, you tend to watch other podcasts, particularly who do, do it weekly or twice weekly. Skyrocket in the numbers. However, we go for quality, not quantity here. Um, this is what I tell myself. This episode, we'll be speaking to Steph Thusen from Haksu. Um, she's a legend, and she, her enthusiasm for the subject matter is infectious. So um, I was very happy to have her on and talk about union-funded rehab centres, the likes of which already exist in New South Wales and which are going to be existing at some point in the near future here. You can learn more about that from her and also from the video linked in the description for the episode. So do get on that. Um, I think the concept... Um, bodes well for both uh, people in rehab and for rehab organisations, but also for the union movement. Um, you know, it, it, it speaks to me of a radically transformed one, should it all work out. Um, so um, I hope you enjoy that. Um, else, other things going on in my world include the uh, couple of videos I've done so far on Tom Sewell and his assault on a Channel 9 security guard and a current affairs initially somewhat promising but finally lurid and disappointing coverage of uh, Tom Sewell and the um, National Socialist uh, Network. Um, so please get onto those. Um, yeah, I did put a lot of uh, effort into that commentary and she'll continue to do so uh, for those of you who are just consumers of the podcast. Um, also, again, um, fortnightly articles coming out on Independent Australia. My last one was talking about how um, you know, I wish there was a little bit more anti-fascism awareness and less calling for cops and prisons as solutions when it comes to Nazis. Um, so please get all over that. Um, for those of you who follow me via Facebook, I've been banned for over a month for sharing a previous article of mine on there. So I'm going to be quiet on there for some time, sorry to say. Um, but I'm also available on all the other platforms, the Twitters, the Instagrams, Patreon, of course. If you want to chuck a clam my way, you can hear all, you can be informed of all my updated content through there. Um, and uh, of course on YouTube as well, uh, youtube.com slash top 10. So please follow me through the 70 million other uh, mediums um, on there. Um, if you have any suggestions for guests or what have you, I would always appreciate your feedback. I've had a couple and I will be getting onto those in the next fortnight, um, seeing if I can tee up some some some, some interviews. But, um, you know, because this is a podcast through which I like to prioritise other people's voices rather than just my own, um, it's, it's great for me to hear from you and who you think I should be speaking to. Um, I'll see you next fortnight. For now, let's take it away with Steph. I'm here with Steph Thiessen from Haksu. Steph, hello, can you hear me? I sure can. Hey, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Steph, we're here to talk about, you know, Victoria's upcoming union-funded rehab centres, which is something that you started talking to me about, which I got really fucking pumped about. So, amazing. But, Steph, as a bit of background, first of all, can you tell me about your your role at Haksu and, and how I guess that intersects with uh, rehab. You know, how are you all over the issues that the people in rehab face in Victoria? Yeah, right. So I I was actually, before working at Haksu, was working for um, a harm reduction pro-drug law reform agency called the Progressive Public Health Alliance. Um, and basically my job uh, was to, you know, get governments, state and federal, thinking about more progressive action in that space. So, you know, whether that was pill testing, um, 
you know, going around looking at rehabs and outreach services, looking at, you know, services that worked, looking at ways that we could shore up their funding, but also to try and poach models and bring them over to Victoria and sort of start working towards a more collaborative approach to state and federal government rolling out rehab. Um, mm. And I actually took an internship for Union Summer, which was run out of Trades Hall twice a year, and I was placed at CFMEU. And I'd just come back from Alice Springs and I was really, I just fell in love with this program uh, called Crystal Clear. And the National Secretary one day, I was there for three weeks at CFMEU and he sort of dragged me into his office one day and sort of said, well, what do you do when you're not here? And I mm. launched into this, you know, this program that's being rolled out in Alice Springs and just, oh, like just frothing it, just like we need this here, we need this here yesterday, we need to do it so we can get the Alice, Alice Springs crew more cash and the more I sort of talked about it, the more I said, you know, this sounds really like a program that's running out of Sydney called Foundation House, and I've never heard of it. And he sort of said, well, it's a union-funded rehab and our New South Wales branches fund that, so how about you go up there and have a look at it? And I, I did, and I just immediately fell in love with it. On the surface, you know, if you walked in, you would just look at it and be like, yeah, this is like any, maybe any other rehabilitation and outpatient service. But I happen to go on a Wednesday night and what I do is all of the current clients cook this big feast and yep. everyone who's been through, graduated and has gone back to work, come back to visit and they all break bread together. I'm talking there was like 100 people the day I was there, which oh, I was like, this is amazing. And they're yeah. there in their high vis or their union shirts or whatever. And after they've eaten and hung out for a bit, they all go into their room and they sort of do the stock standard. Hi, my name's Steph. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a CFMEU member. And they all and it's there is no, <laughs> oh what right? There is no shying away from it. They are so proud. Not everyone does it, but you know some people do. And there's they all sort of cheer and you know it, it, was, it was just so beautiful and such. Such a beautiful example of union collaboration and the arc and the potential for the architecture to sit around the all important work that the union movement already do. So from there, I mean, I was so obsessed, and I called two union leaders in Victoria who, and they like they're union leaders that I go to when I have an idea, but I'm not sure if it's an idea. You know what I mean? Like it's the yeah, it's the, yeah. Full, it's the full knowledge that if it's a bad idea, they will tell me it's a bad idea, and we'll just move right along. Um, Luckily, they didn't, um, and I promptly got to work uh, with the Health and Community Services Union in Victoria and the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union in Victoria um, to try and, you know, get get some sort of policy position off the ground, start having those conversations. So I was already actually working on this project for probably a full four months before I started working uh, at Haksu as an area organiser. Um Right. And it was great, you know, to sort of take that work into that union and it, it makes sense. But I think certainly what I didn't expect, um, now that I, I, you know, I am an organiser in disability, mental health and some parts of the alcohol and other drug services, is just the detrimental effect that this poor AOD system that we have right now is actually having particularly on our mental health members. Um What's happening right now across certainly the services that I cover 
is that because our mental health members cannot get our consumers into rehab, which is where they really should be, what's happening is they're ending up in utilising mental health services that they really shouldn't be. Those mental health services are then becoming a silo and then they are just relapsing over and over and over again because they just they can't get them in anywhere. So okay. it's yeah. been really fascinating now organising in that space to actually see, well, yes, this architecture in terms of a union rehab is going to assist so many union members from various industries um, to avoid disciplinary actions. So, you know, if we can get it in the health and safety representative training on site, that would be really amazing. But what I didn't expect is just how much it will assist the AOD workforces, but also the mental health workforces, because it is having a knock-on effect right now. Mm, yep, yep. And so just to just to pull back a bit and to reframe, I guess where we're sitting at right now for people mm. who you know aren't aware, currently, and the thing that's so radical about this is, of course, is that you know we're talking about union funded rehab, but the current funding model is to sit there and beg often for quite you know for very frequently for government funding mm. um, and this is what rehab serves to do, you know ha has to do and so and that puts um organizations in a position where they're constantly having to fight for their own funding yes. um it, it, it puts clients in a tenuous situation can you go through some of the other you know what what are the the consequences of the current government-funded model, the, the real problems that you've already seen? Yeah, so certainly um, when I was full-time at the Progressive Public Health Alliance, what, I mean, some of the biggest pieces of feedback that I got was firstly, I mean, it's different state to state in terms of funding and it's certainly different state to state in terms of whether a service could have state funding and federal funding, meaning that some of those beds you know that, and that is as that that is as difficult as saying, well, these beds are federal funding, so that's a different incident report. These beds are state funded, that's a different incident report. The state portion of the funding means that we have to ask the government for money maybe every three months, the federal maybe every six months. But that that can all be happening in one rehab. So on the face of it, that rehab looks all the same. They all look like the same employees, but. They're consistently having to not even fight for the entirety of their funding, but portions of their funding within an existing service. So what that leads to is huge job insecurity for the AOD sector. Um, there mm. is no enterprise bargaining agreement across the board. So in terms of bargaining for better rights, it's it's really difficult. Um, but also there's not enough graduates entering, this, entering um, the sector, but realistically, why would you? If I had the choice right now to go and study in something in mental health or something in AOD, why would I study AOD right now? Why would I do it? There's just, there's not, and that's why, look, I think that that workforce are just all of mental health, disability, AOD, they are amazing. They are amazing, giving, compassionate people. So even as I say, why would you go work in AOD? I know exactly why they go work in AOD because they have something to offer and it's really important caregiving service but it it is disappointing when that workforce in particular are 
just consistently undervalued. And look, the other thing that's I'm- it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. It creates a, a, an underfunded sector that's very hard to go and get jobs in. It's going to make it hard not only to retain but to attract new people. That's just that's just par for the course. It stands to reason, doesn't it? Exactly. And you and look, and that's not every service. I mean, I know some services where I look at it and go, that is the gold standard in terms of working rights, in terms of. Um, you know, the bargaining that they're able to do on site, but that's really dependent on having a really good boss. Um, and, I, you know, that I think we need a better system than that. But also what I'd say, we know each year, now before COVID-19, it was estimated that about 200,000 people in this country each year get turned away from rehab. And there is no other health condition where we say, sorry, we can only treat half of you. There are some reports coming out now that it's looking more like 500,000 people each year, but even it could even get worse because we're waiting for that cliff when, with JobSeeker and JobKeeper getting cut. Um, yep. Now, there's a couple of things in that. Firstly, we know that for every dollar spent on rehab, the community saves $7. I would argue there is no better time for state and federal governments to start really investing in this meaningfully, but... Also, we acknowledge that if every single health minister in this country, state, territory, federal, said, right, we're going to fund it, that's going to cost a lot of money. And frankly, I I sort of take the view that it's a really great time to start putting funding alternatives forward. And we see that this sits within that, looking at, you know, something that is led by the union movement where you know, maybe it's dollar for dollar. Maybe we're looking to superannuation. We haven't really, we haven't really landed on the funding model yet. But it's also an acknowledgement for us that it shouldn't all be falling on the health and mental health ministers of this country because rehab affects everyone. One in five people will be will suffer an addiction, whether drug, alcohol, gambling, in their lifetime. We want other ministerial portfolios across this country investing. We want people to be getting the help before they absolutely bottom out so they can stay in work. We don't want working people to have to be consistently making the decision of, well, am I remortgaging my house or am I going to rehab? Rehab? Am I losing my job or am I going to rehab? We don't want that and it shouldn't be that way anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so, it, 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 yeah, it, removing that pressure, I suppose, off of organisations to, to constantly have to beg for funding to retain their staff, yeah. to retain their existing service models or improve upon them, to keep their clients, to allow new you know periods for their clients to come in like on a shorter term basis. Yeah. Um, how would that free up? You know, can can tell us like you know, and I suppose you would have seen this in the case of New South Wales. What have you seen with Foundation House so far? Like, what what services is it able to provide that just don't exist right now? So there there is a real lack of services that cater, and I you know I don't really know how else to say this, but to the middle. So what, and I used to see this all the time when I was on the road looking at rehabs and stuff, where you know. There's two things. Either inpatient programs can be really long, three months, six months, 12 months, and absolutely those services need to remain and we need more of those. Um, so there's that portion, which is not good for a working person in construction, for example, where 
you know, it's basically you're on a contract and, you know, we need to get you back to work. That's the, the key thing. But secondly, yeah. lots of services either cater to people who have completely bottomed out, and again, we need more of those services, uh, or they cater to people who have the capacity to pay $10,000 a month. Um, people, that, that, I mean, yeah. Both, yeah. Of those, both of those issues alone make it totally inaccessible. Um, but what I'd also say and what, you know, the part that I find really exciting is that in the past, I think it's in the past six months or so, um, Foundation House have now included this in their Blue Hats, their, in, their Blue Hats training. So for those who don't know, Blue Hats is the mental health uh, program that's provided by the CFMEU. Now, it's kind of like a mental health HSR on site, which I think is really, really important at the moment. But what they've managed to do with that, since including that to, in their toolbox talks, they've found that 37% of their referrals have literally gone from shop floor to foundation house, which means that even though they were doing incredible work before, there was a big chunk of people on the shop floor who needed help, who were in addiction, who recognised they had a problem. And look, I think that is the most courageous thing anyone can do. The most courageous thing to me in my book is to put your hand up and say, I need help or I'm going to burn out or I need help or I'm going to massively make a mess of my life. So courageous. But they're managing to take people straight from shop floor into rehab. And I think that's that's amazing. Um, that blows my mind. That's right? incredible. And all of these are people who otherwise, well, I mean, the stats show it, they wouldn't have done anything. They wouldn't have actually even known about the, 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 the rehab services that might have existed otherwise. That's no, incredible. Absolutely. And look, the data, We the, the thing is, it, I mean, it is incredible, but it also isn't shocking in a way because we know, you know, Firstly, um, uh, that it can take, like some of the data coming out. Did you watch Addicted Australia, per chance, on SBS? No, no, tell me about it. Oh, so that was, that was about, but that was looking at a really gritty, in-depth look at just how shocking the addiction rates for alcohol, drugs and gambling are in Australia. And it was running out of turning points, which is, um, a, a wonderful mm. program at Eastern Health. And some of those stats were, you know, it can take 20, 20 years for an Australian to put their hand up right now and say, I need help because of the stigma attached to what addiction is. Because of this, you know, soft, because people are so scared to sort of take meaningful action in this space and, you know, they're so scared of the, oh, yeah, soft on crime thing that runs in the Herald Sun. But, mm. you know, they, they're scared to take action. But you know, that's actually killing people. We are condemning people to a life of poverty um, and a life of, you know, extreme, well, extreme healthcare poverty. And I would argue that that's structural violence that we are all committing at the moment and governments are committing because we are just, we just seem incapable of altering this war on drugs narrative. But if, if there was ever a time to do it, we have to do it. Um, but also, look, the other thing too, which I think is a really important point of Foundo, and it's like something that I love, and look, I'm a bleeding heart, okay? So maybe maybe that's why I just fell in love with this aspect. But, <laughs> you know, they we know sometimes with addiction that it's really important to change your community. Um, and this provides a whole other community for working people. Um, I would argue that this country 
and I think especially in Victoria, has gone through a really specific collective trauma with COVID-19. Um, yeah. And I think it's more important than ever that we all start to provide other avenues for community. And I just think it would just be such a wonderful thing to offer to working people, especially now, especially now. It's incredible. And it feels so much less institutionalised. Like I can't get out of my head the idea of what you said at the start of the chat, the idea that there was people on a Wednesday night all saying, you know, I'm an addict and I'm from this union and everyone's mm -hmm. supporting each other. That feels less like a an institution with perhaps all the stigma that might come with that, given what we were saying before about people in addiction in Australia. Yeah. feels less like an institution and more like a community, which is an incredible thing that, that perhaps purely government-funded services just could never provide. Well, yeah, and I mean, exactly, you're, you're exactly right. And our hope would be that it, you know, it can go some way towards um, smashing that stigma and encouraging people to start putting their hand up before things get really, really bad. Um, that's what we want to avoid. That's, you know, if we can sort of implement, and look, I see it as harm reduction 101, really. I mean, I, what we know too in terms of the economy is that for every dollar spent on rehab, the community saves seven. But for every dollar spent on harm reduction, the community saves $17. And for me, it's got that dual saving. And I don't want to put dollar figures on it, but I know everyone's really scared right now about quote unquote the economy. But that's even more of a reason that we should do this right now because. We want to be catching working people before things get really bad. We want to be implementing harm reduction measures, um, creating that community where it is a safe space devoid of judgment. That's really important for us. And Steph, you know, I, I, there's the there's the other side of things as well, which my I suppose my 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 history as a union delegate myself for some years there, walking around extolling the virtues and the <laughs> the, the the perks and the things you you're buying into with union membership to people, you know, I, I can imagine it's a it's a radically different thing you're you're you you're buying into if you're joining the union movement if we're telling people that what you're also buying into is a is an up-and-coming revolutionary funding model for rehab you know you're essentially you know supporting a whole column of of of, of commu i suppose community support that exists outside of the government aren't you it, it would really change the union movement i think would do you agree yeah look and that certainly that would be the hope and i mean i know there are some union secretaries that are so, I mean, the, the idea for them to say that when someone joins a union to put put to them, well, not only do you get all of the stuff that usually comes along with joining a union, but you and your family and your loved ones will have access to a rehabilitation, a rehabilitation service and an ongoing outpatient service forever. Um, that's really exciting. And, hey, we may not get union members out of that, but... Really, I mean, look, for me, it doesn't stop, right? Like, I try and look at this all holistically. Like, it's a given for me as a union official that I want to get the best possible working arrangements for my members. Um, I want yeah. to, as much as I can, I want to amplify their time on site. But for me, it doesn't stop there. If we can offer them um, the dignity of healthcare without judgment, I think we should do it. If we can do it, we should do it. Um, 
and I would hope, you know, that 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 sort of way of looking at things starts to bleed out to the entire union movement. I think that would be really exciting. And we've already got great examples of it, you know, like the Star of the South project um, that's being led right now for renewable energy by the unions is amazing. Um, that That's a really incredible start. Um, what they've managed to do at Foundo, it, it's incredible. And it's not just about the union members themselves. I mean, I've had the opportunity to talk to the families of these union members that have utilised that service. Um, I've yeah. even had the opportunity to sort of hear from bosses who, like there are the bosses, some, there are bosses in New South Wales that love Foundation House because even they see the benefit of it. They yeah, love right. it. They suck it in which is incredible. And really, that's really where we want to be getting to, where everyone sees the shared benefits of this. So, yeah, I mean, look, I hope so. I've, I, look, I've heard, um, you know, apparently the union movement used to have um, pull-up dental. I didn't know that. What? I know. Can you imagine? I got told that. No by... one told me this. Bring it back. No. Bring it back. I know. I got told this by a, me- a current member of parliament and I, my mind was blown. I was just like, that. I'm obsessed with that. Maybe that should be the next project. <laughs> yeah. No rolling these things back. We need to take them back up. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Seth, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm pumped about it because it's a ma- and a crazy idea. Like it's just a great idea, but I'm even more pumped about it because your enthusiasm is very infectious. <laughs> so thank you for explaining all about this. Is there anything else you'd like to, to tell us about uh, about the upcoming Union Funded Rehab Centres. And also, is there anywhere that we can read more about the concept or how it, that it's been going so far in New South Wales? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, um, the Health and Community Services Union in Victoria and the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union in Victoria have been posting about it um, quite a bit. But we, and both of our, um, Haksu in particular, has been really pumping out the material on it to, you know, try and socialise the idea with as many people as possible. Uh, but perhaps after this I can share all of our gear with you and you can feel free to share it far and wide, Tom. I will, yeah. I, you know what, we'll talk afterwards and I will yeah. put those links in the description for the episode. Okay. Uh, Steph Thurston from the Haxu, thank you so much. And join your fucking union, right? <laughs> yes, please. There's no more. <laughs> yes, please. Please do it. I said, oh, I, it's so nice. You know why I'm laughing? Because it's so nice to hear someone else say it. But like, I feel like yeah. Paris, a really gushy parrot. It's like, oh, just join your union. So it's nice. It's a, it's a welcome change. Just join your fucking union. Just fucking do it. Like, please do it. For real. Steph, thanks so much for your time. I thank you. And thank, brother, thank you for all the work you do. It's a real shining light. It's been a real shining light, especially during COVID-19 and the darkness of stage four. Definitely. Thank you.